So I want to begin today by asking you this question. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble uh, or maybe in a compromising or dangerous situation because you ignored a warning? Or maybe simply because you didn't take the threat that seriously? So I grew up in a home that never locked the door. And uh, my brother, my sister, and I, we never had a house key. I'm not even sure my parents had a house key. The house was always unlocked. The gate was unlocked. And it wasn't because we lived in some rural, small town. I mean, we were born and raised in Long Beach. Um, It's just that I think, you know, our our family is not real safety conscious. And, you know, our, our home always felt like a very safe place, I think, to our whole family, and it was probably the least threatening place I knew in my life, and so I don't know why we just never locked the door. And uh, and we had those friends uh, that when they they learned about this, sometimes they would lecture us, you know, those safety-conscious friends, and uh, you know who you are. Um, you, 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 You have multiple locks on your doors, and you have alarm systems, and you have the surveillance cameras, and could you just lift up your hand, and we'll just pray over you, and, uh, and, and they would lecture us. Uh, some of you are checking your house right now. You're like, is everything safe at home? He's talking about that. And, uh, but they, they would lecture us, and they would tell us about all the scary people out there. And we, we I, I don't know, I think even in, um, in hearing those kind of mild rebukes, it would just further instantiate me in my own hardened position, like, no, actually, we're not going to lock our doors. And, uh, but then... But then one day, a young man showed up at our house when my mom was home by herself. And he was a kid who was in our youth group. He was a senior in high school. He was a bigger kid, and he was mentally unstable. He had anger issues. And um, and I just realized that's not working, is it? Are you guys noticing that right now? Okay, well, let's, let's see what we can do about that, and then we'll get back into the story. You were like on the edge of your seats, and then now we've got to reconnect. Let's see here. Come on. Come on. Let's just, everyone reach out your hands and just kind of (laughs) pray over the, um, okay, let's see here. There we go. All right. We're good. Okay, so where was I? So one day, this kid who was from our youth group, mentally unstable, anger issues, big kid, Uh, He showed up at my house in the middle of the day when my mom was alone by herself. It was a school day. He wasn't supposed to be there. And my mom looked through her bedroom window, and she could actually see him coming toward the door, but he didn't see her. And she was troubled, and she was wondering what was going on. There was something about the look in his eye that made her feel unsettled. And so when when he knocked on the door, she went back into her bedroom, and she hid in the closet. And he proceeded to let himself into our unlocked house and wander around from room to room to room. And my mom, meanwhile, is just terrified in the closet. Well, thankfully, that day he left and nothing happened. But not long after that, uh, he was implicated in a very disturbing act of violence that made the newspapers. And I, I think we learned something that day that you cannot take threats too lightly. That there are times and places to be aware and to take threats seriously and to take proper precautions to guard yourself against those threats. Now, of course, this is true for our own physical safety. 
You know, there are people who are dangerous, that are violent, that you want to guard or protect yourself against. But it's not just true for our physical safety. It's also true when it comes to our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual safety. There are a lot of threats out there. There are threats in the realm of ideas and truth claims. You know, of course, there are a lot of truths about God and about the self that are rich and beautiful and that build you up. That, but there are also uh, claims, distorted truths, uh, disinformation, lies that can be toxic to your soul, that can be harmful, that can actually be destructive, that we need to guard ourselves against. You know, it's been said that we live in an information age, and in an information age, one of the great threats is the, the danger of disinformation. You know, I was on the, uh, the website for the State Department this week, and it, it, I, I read this, quote, disinformation is one of the Kremlin's most important and far-reaching weapons. Russia has operationalized the concept of perpetual adversarial competition in the information environment by encouraging the development of a disinformation and propaganda ecosystem. Isn't that interesting descriptive phrase? A, uh, a, uh, a propaganda and disinformation ecosystem. It goes on, this ecosystem creates and spreads false narratives to strategically advance the Kremlin's policy goals. And there is no subject off limits to this firehouse of falsehoods. And then they go on and list the, the wide-ranging topics where disinformation is being spread that's creating disunity and confusion and discouragement and it's unsettling us and it's weakening our nation because of the spread of disinformation. Now, I thought when I read that, if the Kremlin, you know, is good at this sort of thing, if they're good at disinformation, how much more would the devil, who is the father of lies, be adept at misinformation and spreading false narratives? And indeed, when you open the Bible, you learn that the, the devil is just that, there, that there are a spiritual teachers, there are voices around us, there are uh, luminaries or, or people who, who pretend to be luminaries that actually themselves are spreading disinformation and falsehood when it comes to God. And that disinformation, those lies are destructive to the church. They create confusion and disunity and they weaken us. And we need to take proper precautionary measures against them. And one of the reasons why John writes this little letter that we call 1 John to a church in Ephesus is to help equip this church to stand strong against the lies that they face, what happened? It happened again. Let's see, is this helpful? No, it's not helpful. Can, can we just ignore the screen today and just say we're, we're just gonna pray that, you know, and uh, we're gonna go slideless, which means hopefully you have a Bible in your hand somewhere or on your phones, whatever, you can look at the text of scripture that we're looking at. But listen, John was a pastor. He was deeply concerned about the, the, the network of churches he was in charge of in Asia Minor. And he was writing, at least for this reason, he says in chapter two, because of the people that are trying to deceive you. He says, I am writing about those who are trying to deceive you. And what he wants to do is to ground this church in the truth 
and enable them to be able to discern between voices of truth and those of error. And he's helping us do the same thing today in the text that we're looking at in chapter four, verses one through six. And so I wanna invite you to consider this passage with me underneath three headings. First, we wanna look at what John wants us to do a second, we'll see how he wants us to do it. And then thirdly, we're going to talk uh, at kind of an applicational level about what that all means for us today. Notice first what John wants us to do, what we're called to do. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so John says, do not believe every spirit, but instead test the spirits. And he states his, this command, he, he states what he wants us to do both negatively and positively. Uh, negatively, we are to not believe every spirit. In other words, don't be gullible. Uh, don't simply believe everything they say. But then positively he says, instead you are to test the spirits. You are to exercise and develop a critical faculty of discernment so that you can discern truth from error. And so he's basically saying, look, as you go online and as you read that book or watch that YouTube clip or you listen to that podcast, uh, don't take it hook, line, and sinker uh, everything you read or hear or watch. He says, don't be gullible. Instead, exercise your spiritual faculties of discernment. Now, what does he mean when he talks about spirits? He says, don't believe every spirit uh, that, that, that comes. And he's not talking here about ghosts or some translucent beings. Instead, what he's talking about are traveling prophets who are going around the churches of his own day. So John pastored in a very pluralistic culture, uh, there was a temple on every corner, and there was a myriad of, of spiritual uh, wandering teachers and prophets that would go from community to community. And so John is saying, look, when they come in, don't be gullible, but evaluate the teachers and the philosophers and the religious gurus, uh, many of whom claim to speak from God. And, of course, this was in the ancient world when the church was just beginning, and there was not a lot of controls or central authority. And so these teachers and prophets and teachers who would claim to be speak on behalf of God, he says, look, you need to be careful and you need to examine the teaching and examine their voices. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying don't listen to them at all. Prophets and teachers and pastors and a spiritual luminaries and authorities are gifts from God. You know, in Ephesians 4, it says that when Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended on high and he gave gifts. And among those gifts that God has given to the church are pastors and teachers and spiritual luminaries and, and people who give insight and, and who speak God's word to us. And so he says, we need those teachers to strengthen the church and to build up the church. And of, of course, we need books and we need podcasts and we need these kind of wise luminaries. You know, a book can change your life. You know, a, a podcast can, can, can adjust 
you so that you think rightly about something. A spiritual luminary can, can change the whole course of your, of your life. And so he says, we need them. But what he is saying is filter the teachers. He's saying you need to test them. You need to discriminate when you are hearing this. He says, look, you know, when you go to a medicine cabinet, you need to discriminate between that medicine which will be helpful and that which will be hurtful. If you go on a hike, you need to discriminate between which mushrooms will be helpful or which ones will kill you. You know, if you, um, if you turn on music, you need to discriminate between good music and country music, right? Um, <laughs> not, not all music is equal. Not all mushrooms are equal. Not all medicine is equal. And not all prophetic voices or teachers or spiritual luminaries are equal. And so we need to weigh what we hear and discriminate and determine and try to understand uh, truth from error. And so he says, you need to filter it. You need to discriminate. But here's where it gets a little tricky. So he says, look, he says, don't believe every spirit. Don't be gullible. Don't take it all hook, line, and sinker. Instead, discriminate to test but that raises a question. How do we do that? And what does that even mean? And I, and I think that this is where the issue gets really sticky for the church and for Christians, and it has gotten really sticky and messy for almost the entirety of church history. And uh, let me just illustrate it like this. Um, back during the Protestant Reformation, there were three incredible spiritual luminaries and leaders. Uh, one was Martin Luther, and another was Zwingli. And uh, still another was Felix Manns. And Luther uh, launched the Protestant Reformation and was the, the, ultimately became the kind of like the fountainhead of, of what became the Lutheran Church in Germany. And Zwingli became the fountainhead of what became the Protestant and Reformed churches throughout Europe. And then Felix Manns became ultimately the head, the fountainhead of uh, the Anabaptist movement, Baptist churches. But what's interesting is that each of these men considered the other a false prophet or a false teacher or destructive. And so Luther had uh, very harsh things to say about Zwingli because of Zwingli's understanding of communion, of the Lord's Supper. He did not consider Zwingli one of his brothers in the Lord. Now, Zwingli's attitude toward Felix Manns was even worse uh, Zwingli gave approval towards and helped actually the civil magistrates in his area have Anabaptists be put to death. And whereas Felix Mann was a fervent, uh, a very vibrant Christian, he was deemed a false teacher by Zwingli and he was ultimately drowned and put to death as were thousands of other Anabaptists throughout Europe at that time. And so we need to ask, like each one of these thought they were obeying John's word here. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. But what does it mean to test them? And what is the criteria anyway? Is it your view of the Lord's Supper like, Calv or like Luther thought? Is it your view of baptism that is essential like what Zwingli thought? What does John tell us? What is the true test of what is, what is, what is true and what is false? How can we discern, how can we weigh and balance those spiritual voices and those books and those podcasts and the pastors and the teachers that we're hearing and that we're processing? How do we, what, what is the grid? 
What's the filter? What's the test? And John answers that question in the next verse. And look what he says. He says, here's the test. By this you know. He says, let me tell you. Let me tell you how you will know. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is, does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world. So John is like, look, you're confused. You're wondering, what is the criteria? What's the test? What's the grid? He says, here it is. This is it. And throughout John's letter, here he talks specifically about one area, which we could put in the category of doctrine. But throughout the rest of the letter, he talks about a second area, which we could put in the category of life. In other words, when you're asking, is this teacher, this voice, this, uh, th- this spiritual luminary, are they true or are they false? John says, look in these two directions. Look at their doctrine and then look at their life. He says, look at their doctrine and look at their life. Now, in this text, he's going to build out this idea of doctrine, but throughout the letter, he talks about the idea of their life. And so I want to just uh, draw your attention just to, because we, we, I think it's important to put this in the context of what he says in chapter 4. With respect to their life, John essentially says this. He says in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, by this we may know. Do you hear that phrase again? Here's how you know somebody who is rooted in Christ, who is a faithful shepherd or a faithful sheep. He says, by this you know, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Notice he first doesn't turn to their doctrine, he turns to their life. Before he gets to orthodoxy, he talks about orthopraxy. And he says, pay attention to their life. And here's the core question. Is the teacher, is the voice, is the leader in their lifestyle, are they seeking to walk in the way of Jesus? He says, here's how you know. They will walk as he walked. And so you look at their life. You think, are they are they, are they seeking to practice, not perfectly and not without pockets of compromise. There's nobody here who walks in the way of Jesus perfectly and without some pockets of compromise. Amen? I mean, I'm looking at all of you. You all do, yeah. And I do, you know. But are they earnestly and honestly seeking to walk with Jesus and embody in their own life this radical honesty where they say, let my yes be yes and my no be no. And the, 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 the hard work of reconciliation where when there's something amiss between a brother or sister, they go to them and they try to seek to reconcile. And then they turn the other cheek and they walk the extra mile. And when they're cursed, they return with blessing. And they love not just their friends, but they even love their enemies. And ultimately, their life reflects that joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, all of those virtues of love that mark Jesus' life, they're seeking to walk in that. So John says, do you want to know if somebody has come from God? He says, number one, look at their life and ask this question. Are they seeking to walk in the way of Jesus? But then after drawing our attention to their life, he then turns our attention to doctrine. And that's what he addresses in chapter 4, 
verse two. He says, by this you will know the spirit of God. How will you know? What does a true teacher do? He says this. He says, look at their doctrine about Jesus. He says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Notice he says, this is the criteria. This is the test. It is what do they confess about the person of Jesus? Now, there's an important reason why John points our attention to the person of Jesus. It's because at the heart of Christianity is not a highly technical set of doctrinal propositions. In other words, Christianity is not founded upon a long list of uh, highly propositional doctrines. Of course, propositional doctrines are important. Statements of truth are important. But Christianity is founded upon the person of Jesus and on the event of Jesus and on the incarnation of Jesus. Christianity is, is built upon this confession that the infinite and eternal God the God who is the inexhaustible source of all love and beauty and truth and goodness in in, in ultimate reality. The eternal God whom we name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, an eternal communion of delight and joy and love. The second person of the triune God, the one who proceeds eternally as the eternal utterance, the logos, the word of God, the, the... the eternal son came among us and burst into human history 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. And he healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers and he raised the dead and ultimately they took him and they crucified him as a slave, a common slave, here displaying for us, revealing to us just how beautiful and compelling and stunning the love of God is embodied in the flesh in Jesus. And then three days later, after being put in the tomb, he burst forth because death could not hold him. And he ascended to the Father's right hand where he reigns forever. And ultimately, we are headed to this point where the curtain will be pulled back and he'll be revealed as the world's true king. And John is saying, whoever confesses Jesus as the Christ, as the eternal son incarnate among us. He says, this is one who has come from God. So he says, look, number one, at their life. Are they seeking to walk in the way of Jesus? And then look at their doctrine. What do they teach? What do they confess about Jesus? So he's saying, look, here is the test. Here is the filter. It's not, are they charismatic? It's not, are they successful? It's not, does it work? It's not, do, they, do their ideas comport with uh, either my right-wing or left-wing political ideology? It's not, do they agree with the right uh, politician or the voice on talk radio or on uh, news stations or on the internet or whatever? The question is, Does the teacher, does the voice that comes speaking, are they seeking to walk 
earnestly and honestly in the way of Jesus? And are they preaching, are they teaching the gospel of Je- the announcement that God has broken into this world in Jesus, in his incarnation and death and resurrection? John says, this is how you will know. Do you see that in the text? He says, this is it. This is the criteria. This is the test. Now, let's just press this further, shall we? Listen, there's a lot of issues that the church has debated over over the last 2,000 years. Good, important issues. Issues that demand intellectual rigor and long hours of study and vigorous debate. Questions concerning the relationship between science and the Bible. Uh, questions about the role of women in ministry, questions about baptism and the Lord's Supper and uh, spiritual gifts, questions about in what sense is the Bible human and in what sense is the Bible divine. What do we mean by that? There's all kinds of questions that the church has debated over the last 2,000 years, but none of these questions stand at the heart. None of them for John are the filter. The filter is, are they seeking to walk like Jesus And are they proclaiming the biblical Jesus? Are they proclaiming the Jesus we know through the witness of the apostles who walked with Jesus and who were designated by Jesus to carry his message into the world? This, he says, is the criteria. That's at the center. And let's just press this further. What's not at the center, and I think like what often happens, and I've seen this happen especially in the last two years, You have Christians who have a very amateurish, superficial, cultural analysis of what's happening in America right now, and then they add that to oftentimes a more light and loosely tied and superficial reading of the Bible, and then they draw certain conclusions that are not very well-grounded, and then they judge pastors and teachers by that superficial set of decisions. John says that's not the criteria. It is the way of Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus. That's the criteria. That is, he says, the test. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess that Jesus does not confess Jesus is not from God. He says, This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. And he closes off by saying this with a I think a little application for us. Notice what he says, verse 4. He says, little children, you are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. By the way, when he speaks here about them and you and us, he's talking here about three groups. The you are the false teachers, the, I mean, the, the them, I'm sorry, are the false teachers. The you is the church, and the we and us is the apostolic witness. 
The ones who John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen. He's talking about those who walked with Jesus, who were his eyewitness testimonies, who were uniquely commissioned by Jesus to carry this news to the world. He says, those who are of the truth pay attention to the witness of the apostles. So he has these three categories. Then he says, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Namely, they don't listen to the apostolic witness. They don't submit themselves to the testimony of the apostles codified in the gospels and in the epistles in the New Testament. And he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so let me just um, close with a few different applications from this text. Number one, as you are seeking to discern truth from error, as you are engaged in that work of guarding yourself against teaching that is destructive or confusing or that creates disunity or that can be harmful and destructive or manipulative or coercive, uh, churches, pastors, leaders can be dispensers of all of that. And so as you are engaged in this work, number one, first... first uh, Application is be generous in your discrimination. Jesus is the only filter. He's not giving us 25 doctrinal tenets. He's not giving us a long list. Uh, he's not saying that teachers are guilty until proven innocent. He's saying, look at their way of life. Are they walking in the way of Jesus? And look at their, their proclamation of the gospel. Are they preaching the good news of Jesus? So don't draw the circle too narrow. You know, by drawing the circle too narrow, the church has often labeled faithful shepherds wolves, and then they've also labeled wolves as faithful shepherds. And so you have to be careful. There's a lot of room in Christianity. There's a lot of room in church history. If you just study the history of doctrine, you realize that nobody has got it right not in their entirety. But we have the center right. We have the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed and these foundational statements that, that, that crystallize the core Christian belief. And this is the message we hand on from generation to generation, but outside on the margins, in the periphery, in the secondary issues, there's room for lots of debate. And of course, Christians don't always recognize this. You know, I've shown this joke before, but it's so good that I'm going to share it again. It's, uh, it was labeled the best religious joke of all time. So there was this guy, he was about to jump off a bridge. And a man walks up to him and says, don't do it. And the guy says, well, nobody loves me. And he said, well, God loves you. Do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And the other man said, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. He said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. He said, me too. What franchise, Baptist? Uh, he said, Baptist. He said, really, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? Liberal Baptist. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. He said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? 
He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. He said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And he said, die, heretic, and pushed him off the bridge, you know. (laughs) So be generous in your discrimination. Far too often in church history, people have been labeled as wolves and cast out and thrown out, or in the case of Felix Felix Mann's, drowned. Number two, be a learner. Notice what he says in our text. He, He says, those who are of God, he says, listen to us. And that word listen implies this idea of listening under and submitting yourself to a body of teaching. And so to be a follower of Jesus is to be submissive to the authoritative text of Scripture and the authoritative witness of the apostles and to be a constant learner of the apostolic witness. Submitting yourself to these truths, grounding yourself in them. And be a learner, not just of, of the apostolic witness, but, but get some learning on church history and learn a little bit more about how Christians have thought and how they've developed ideas. And from time to time, Pastor Robert will teach us on some great classes regarding different church leaders. And those are great opportunities to further learn and get grounded. And so be a learner. You know, it was uh, Stanley Hauerwas, uh, professor at Duke University, uh, he once quipped, Uh, as a criticism of uh, kind of the liberal view of education, which says that the purpose of education is to help students make up their own minds, to help them make up their own minds. He said this. He said, instead, I tell them that I do not believe they have minds worth making up until they have been trained by me. He says, uh, I realize such a statement is deeply offensive to students since it exhibits a complete lack of pedagogic sensitivities. Yet I cannot imagine any teacher who is serious who would allow students to make up their own minds. Now, of course, he's saying that with tongue in cheek, but he's getting at something important, which is before you can have the critical faculties to discern, you need to submit yourself to be a learner. The word disciple means learner. It means somebody who is submissive to the authority of Jesus and to his teachings. And I welcome you always to examine what I say as your pastor by the authoritative witness of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus. I'm a man under submission, under the submission of Jesus and his authority and under the apostles, the apostolic authority. And so be a learner. Be a learner. Be generous. Be a learner. But thirdly and finally, you can be confident. I can remember when I was just a young Christian, I was, I was quite insecure in my own faith. And I remember I was so insecure about dangerous voices around me that I eradicated from my life all secular music. And, um, and I can remember riding in a car up to a little Bible school I was at when I was just 19 years old. And uh, the guy who was driving the car put on some Simon and Garfunkel. And I remember sitting in the backseat just trying to guard my heart and mind from Simon and Garfunkel, (laughs) which I now think is just utterly ridiculous. I'm like, you know, why am I so afraid? 
The one who is in me is stronger than he who is in the world. You know, we are, we are connected to Jesus and we are held by his power and we can rest in that power. We can rest in that love. Christ will keep us, but we need to abide. We need to remain in his love and in this good news. And may we be a community that grows deep and abides long and strong in the gospel of Jesus as we seek to walk in the way of Jesus. And may that pursuit of following Jesus faithfully and may the, the gospel that we seek to dig our roots into and draw our life from, may, the, may those realities bind us together as a community. May we truly be a Christ-centered community that welcomes in all kinds of secondary and peripheral issues space where we can talk, we can be together, we can learn from each other about all kinds of important issues we need to talk about and debate. But may our center be Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we just ask that you would enable us by your spirit to be kept in your truth. I pray, oh God, that your spirit would give us eyes and ears that are sensitive and well attuned to the voices of deceit around us. And may we be those kind of sheep that turn from those voices of deception and that hear your voice and that follow you and that trust in you and that find our life in you. And it's in your name that we ask all of these things, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.